0: Hello and welcome once again to the Wide Teams podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at WideTeams.com and on Twitter at WideTeams. This is episode 23. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. Today's episode is part two of a mutual interview between me and Rob Dempsey of lifeofthefreelancer.com. We talk more about the intersection of distributed work with freelancing, including a discussion of how freelancers can find and team up with other freelancers to create ad hoc teams that are geographically distributed but working together on a particular project. Now, I have to apologize for the audio quality in this interview. There are a couple of sections where the Skype connection wasn't so great and uh, the audio gets a little bit wonky. Uh, And I had to cut it off a little bit early because the audio got really bad towards the end. Uh, But hopefully you'll still get a lot out of it. And so, without further ado, here's the interview. Now, uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned ad hoc teams, uh, and, and you talked to a lot of freelancers. Do you see that happening a lot? Do you see them uh, putting together ad hoc teams for, uh, for projects that are bigger than, than one person?
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think that with with freelancers or self employed people, however people want to see themselves, right, or, or term themselves, uh, the the thing is, is that as a single person, you can only do so much, and if you want to start getting bigger customers, you start teaming up on people. This I've seen, especially co working places. If you've ever been to co working spaces, oh yeah, I've seen it, that. It's a great place for folks to say, okay, well, hey, I need a designer on it. Like, for instance, I can't design myself I, – I can't design anything, quite frankly, of any quality whatsoever. So I need to find a designer. And so I'm going to start looking for someone that mm-hmm. is a – you know, working for themselves because I want to work with other self-employed folks. So, so absolutely. Um, either complementary skills, so like a web developer with a web designer, um, or – uh, uh, even bringing in, say, someone that's like, okay, well, hey, my customer mentioned they need marketing because, okay, great, we built this app, but they have no freaking clue of how to actually get people to the damn thing. So we need marketing. We need a social media person. So okay, so let's bring them in, and then how do we, um, you know, start working? Basically, again, this this team, just like uh, in agile, you talk about, oh man, it's it was a late night last night. I'm trying to think of the phrase, right? But either way, a team made up of multiple disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one so yeah absolutely and again if you want to get a bigger customer and say it's going to be like you need three four developers working on the thing you start pulling from your network mm-hmm. which is one of the things you mentioned you pull from your network of folks to then just be able to do more work and maybe be more competitive with some company that has you know the office with you know the people and the marketing budget yeah And all that kind of thing. So, absolutely. And I think it's one of the, also one of the biggest ways that folks just starting out can start getting customers without having to find customers themselves. You start talking with the people that you see out there making it happen that have the customer and say, hey, you know, can, do you have any additional work that maybe I can take over for you? Or do you have any projects that need more people? So that you can you know, so that I can get in on that and then help you to get more projects. I know um, a guy, Shane Perlman of Shaneandpeter.com out in California, basically their whole business is is that they really find the customers and then they hire freelancers to actually do the work. And so if you're good and you get in with these guys, basically you have a steady flow of work. I know someone that's basically like a majority of their business is just working with these guys. So um in a way that's teaming up but hmm. yeah absolutely i think it's extremely important to find fellow freelancers look at it not as competition but as a, okay well what can we do better together yet not have a business and still maintain our independence
0: right yeah that's interesting i i think i'm actually going to be talking to shane later on this week awesome um so how does that how is that usually structured um from a business perspective when you have when you have one of these ad hoc teams come to, to come together? How do you see that usually structured? Do you see it as a subcontracting arrangement or everyone has their own contract or, or what?
1: Yeah, so that pretty much is my business model at Atlanta Media Solutions. So I had had... Nine employees at one point. I now have a strict no-employee policy. Mm -hmm. So the way that it is 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 that anyone that's working uh, with me on projects, and when I say working with me, I mean like I find the customers and then they do the the work, the production work. So they're a developer, they're a designer, whatever. Um, So I'll do the more higher-level project management, and then they're brought in as contractors to then – do the work to talk with the customer on a daily basis. So I'm not exactly – well, I'm in, the, in a sense, I'm kind of middlemaning the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But what I'm doing is I'm taking on the liability. I'm taking on the responsibility. I'm making sure at that higher level that project management is occurring. But then after that, I'm stepping back and saying, okay, you know – what you do right it's like you are a developer, you know how to talk with your customer with the customer um there's no reason for me to middleman those situations where it's so much faster for you to just talk with them um so really with also with the customers, I make no um no uh Like, I don't bullshit them. It's like, look, you know, I'm contracting out the work. The folks are here in the U.S., they're there in the Philippines, whatever. You know, that's how you get the rate that you do or what have you. I'm their contractors. I do X, Y, and Z. They do X, Y, and Z. And then that's how the engagement is structured. So I have kind of a working agreement, if you will, with our customers. But then, long story short, to answer your question, yes, then everyone at that point is a 1099 contractor. So Mm -hmm. they're responsible for. Uh, pulling out all the taxes and keeping track of you know and all of that kind of thing. Now in terms of billing, I try and keep it very simple. So back when I was doing IT, I used to have to log out. It was stupid the way I was doing this. I mean, I loved the the boss that I had, but you know, I would get in my car. Punch in like the mileage that I had in the time, email that in. I get to the customer, I do the same thing. I do the work, I print out the invoice, they sign it, I get back in the car, and then the cycle begins again where I got to sit down, create the email, blah, blah, blah. It's stupid. So I try and bill so that we don't have to log time because Hmm. logging hours too, I think, is overhead that's friggin' pointless. And I'm sure, you know, from doing development, or really, whatever you're doing. I mean, if you gotta stop and think, oh wait, you know, I forgot to start the clock. Oh crap! You know, how long have I been working on this? I have no idea because I've been in the zone, just cranking out awesome stuff. You know, it's like overhead you don't need, so you build on a an iteration basis, which mm-hmm. uh, for non-software folks means like either a one-week basis, a two-week basis, a month basis, whatever. Right. So you basically try and turn a service into a product. And sell it that way, too. So when you're talking with a customer, you're like, look, you know, you're know, you going to get billed. It's going to be you know, roughly probably X amount of hours, whatever. But you have someone dedicated to your project for a week's time or two weeks' time or what have you. And so then for me, it's a lot easier to for the billing as well because so a contractor can bill me for a two-week period. So I'm going to say, yeah, and I don't have to worry again about the hours. So hopefully, that's a really long answer to your question
0: <laughs> no it's it's good it's um because I think that's i mean I think that's something that that a lot of people are probably going to are, are probably curious about now more going to be more curious about is is just sort of the nuts and bolts of of bringing these ad hoc teams together. How many of the people that you talk to are are working with a a team of some kind? I know you talk to a lot of freelancers
1: so um do you mean Okay, so you mean basically like independent people that are teaming up with other folks?
0: Right, exactly.
1: I'd say, while well, in the software development world, a majority of them okay. uh, for the most part because uh, – or they're forming not exactly co-ops, but almost like that same kind of stuff where they'll refer work out to each other. Um, but I'd say probably about 75% of the folks in development that I speak with that are freelancers are Either doing subcontract work for larger firms, mm-hmm. or they have started teaming up on bigger projects. Whether that's some person like me that has a brand uh, that's out there, kind of fronting the whole thing, if you will, or they just bring in um, other folks to work with them so that they can scale themselves up. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, but really, I mean, a majority of people that I talk to, generally speaking, so I'd say seventy-five percent across the board, still. Uh, you know, no one knows everything, right? So if you're a software developer, you don't necessarily know design. If you're right. writing a book, you don't necessarily know editing or how to market the damn thing. And you can learn this stuff, but it's like, okay, do I want to take the time to learn everything? Or can I bring in another freelancer or another self-employed person to help me out with this? So I'd say some, a majority of the people that I speak with are teaming up with other folks mm-hmm. and to, um, to great effect.
0: What are the what do you think are the typical sizes of 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 teams? Do you see like one or two or three say, or a dozen?
1: Yeah, between I'd say from like 2 to 5. I frankly haven't seen more than five people teaming up on teaming up on a project. And I think there was there's some numbers out there that like basically the more every for every person you add on like you start increasing the amount of communication required like Mm -hmm. to be successful like it's orders of magnitude or something like that as you as you add on more people just because then the the chatter becomes a lot greater so i like i like the small team i'd say like two to four two to five is is doing pretty well for folks
0: Mm -hmm. in your own um your own dispersed work, um, has there been anything that you thought would be harder and turned out to be not so hard? I mean, did it seem like it was going to be a big challenge, or mm. did it well, seem pretty straightforward to you?
1: Yeah, I well, okay, so mainly I would say it. No, the biggest challenge really has been having. You know, getting people to really feel involved and invested in the project um, when Mm -hmm. they are far away. Mm. Because one of the benefits of having everyone in the same place, as you were saying, you have those interactions, you have that daily, hey, how's it going, the kind of chit-chat that builds rapport, that builds the team. When people are distributed, yeah. you don't have that as much, and as you said, you're relying on tools, you're relying on working agreements, things of that nature. So really, anything that that can be done to foster more of kind of the, the chit-chat, people... So, Companies might think, oh, well, it's inefficiency, people talking to the water cooler, blah, 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 blah. But it's those relationships and the building of the relationships that make for a better team. Yeah. And so anything that you could do to foster that with a fully distributed team is, for me, extremely important to do. So if people are talking on campfires, you said a great tool from 37 Signals, um, and they're chatting on Campfire about non-development stuff. Do I really care? No. In fact, I well, no in the sense of, you know, that's fine because I'm not worried about, oh, are you being 100% efficient? Because that also is bullshit as well. There is no 100% efficiency with freaking anything. Even robots break down. So, uh, you know, but... It's like you want that stuff. You want that chit-chat. So that has been, I'd say, the greatest challenge mm-hmm. across the board, making people feel involved, making them feel included, making them really feel a part of the team, even though they're working from their house right. you know, hundreds to thousands of miles away.
0: Something I've, I've, I am realizing is a part of that now um, is, is being aware of your team on, on the social networks. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if they have a presence there, like if, if they have a presence on Twitter, um, I had, I, I had a day, uh, I, I don't know, a month or two ago where I was just like a frustrating day. And, um, and I said something, I think on Twitter, um, uh, just, you know, about how frustrated I was and out of the blue, um, one of my, the guys that I was working with, um, in, um, in, I think he's in Portland. Um, but this is a guy. I, I he's on on the team, and I one of the teams I work on. But he's but we hadn't at this point we hadn't really interacted much. We hadn't met in person yet. But this guy, um, I am's me, privately, and just basically says, "Hey, uh, you know, are you doing all right? Um, is there anything you know? Is if is it anything to do with the, with with our team? You know, is there anything I can do to help?" And it made like such a huge difference in my day, mm-hmm. like just it just completely changed my perspective on on the day and, and the team, um, you know, because somebody reached out like that. And so I think, you know, we get a lot of, of um, when you're working co-located with people, you get a lot of cues about, um, you know, how what kind of day they're having, you know. I mean, you can just, like, hear them, you can see them throw up their hands or something if they're, they're having a hard time. Um, you have to use other... Other means to to um, get a picture of, of how your your teammates are doing, uh, and one of those I think one of those windows that we have is like Facebook and, and Twitter, and uh, and then act on it, you know. And I think it makes a huge difference uh, to that that sense of, of being part of a team when people do take notice of of those kinds of cues. Mm.
1: You know, that's a great point, and that's why my so I had this kind of hierarchy of communication um methods that i prefer so at the very top would be in person because you get the most out of that um but so we're not working in that world though so the next step down is video right so um so, you and I, I mean, I can still, I can see your facial expressions. If you were standing up further away, like working on a whiteboard or something, I could totally see you know, more of your body language. So, that is number two. So, some type of face-to-face communication, uh, be it video or... In-person, number one. And then basically everything text-based starts going after. Well, then you have voice, purely voice, because at least you can hear if someone's pissed off and frustrated. And then after that, it's anything text-based. So text is obviously at the lower because someone could say something. There is no um, – you can infer emotion, but you can easily be incorrect with that. And right. so as, even with customers, I've found a five-minute phone call can clear up stuff mm-hmm. so quickly, uh, rather than sending emails back and forth, back and forth. So I always tell people, don't be afraid to pick up the phone or the virtual phone, as it were, you know, place a call, talk to them, because at least if you can hear them, you get more context for what's going on. How do they really feel? Are they frustrated? Is there something else that maybe they're not mentioning written because they don't want to put it in writing and have that log there, you know, an email or instant messenger or whatever, um, but they are more than happy to share over a phone conversation or a, a video conversation. So I think that's um, that's, a, that's a huge point. So what are the other cues, as you were saying, that can really help you tune into that as well?
0: Right, absolutely. Very
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of video, um, and um, you know, I do try to. I try to have um, some video time with with any team that I work with as much as I can. And actually, um, there's a so the uh, one of the teams that I the, the team that I spend most of my time with right now. Uh, we have a, a a stand up on video uh, every morning. And that works pretty well, but um, there's one there's a, a team that I'm working with that's that I don't I don't spend nearly as much time with them, and so what I've been doing is I've actually been at the end of the night I'll uh, I'll record a little um, status update uh, video um, on a tool uh, a video mail tool called iJot, and I'll send that out to them. Cool. Um, just so, at least they get some FaceTime from me. Um, and then if I'm going to be, if I'm working with any anyone, I'll try to get you know a Skype video call going.
1: And I think this is important too for bringing customers more into the fold. Um, again, regardless of what uh, you know what type of pro- uh, service you're providing. So a friend of mine, Paul Clip, that has a company, Lunar Logic Polska, over in Poland. What they'll do is they have. Uh, So their team is co-located, but their customers are not in Poland for the Mm -hmm. most part, like nine times out of ten. But they'll have an in-person stand-up with their team every day. And what they'll do is they'll invite their customers into that Mm stand-up via Skype. So they could have either a webcam set up so the customer can literally see everybody standing up and feel even more a part of if they want to. Or they can just hear it and then... Um, and depending on your rules right, of, of Scrum and Agile, they can either participate or maybe not participate or hold their questions until the end. But either way, you, you bring that customer, yeah. which is not sitting right beside you, even further into the fold by including them on the stand-up. Some of things like Skype, um, where you might not be able to do that with video, like a multi-person video chat, yeah. um, if you will. But either way... You can have you can bring them totally in on a a voice like a Skype, uh, conference call. So at a minimum, they can hear what everybody is saying, what the, the updates are, and and having that communication with the customer is enormous. I think, especially in software development, where things are are very fluid mm. and working in purely, um, purely bits, to help them understand. Okay, well, what challenges? are the team really facing uh, that maybe I can help out with or have an answer to or whatever. It just gives them a better sense for why are things the way things are, uh, right? So whether it's you're doing that purely with the team or you have your customer brought into that as well. So huge, huge stuff for me.
0: One of the um, interesting insights I heard recently, I was talking to to Jim Rick. Uh, you might know him. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, probably a little longer than, than that now, uh, at the, uh, the Ruby Ho down, down in Nashville, and he said that he suggested uh, giving a client a Skype phone. You can, you, can get, you can get these dedicated boxes now. Uh, that's just that's all they do. And, uh, you know, give them a bat phone, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if, if there's an issue, you know, pick the but, you know, it, it sort of lowers that barrier to entry to, uh, to starting a video uh, conversation at the, at the drop. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a, a great point. And I think Skype is starting to fail us <laughs> a bit. It's, the the audio is getting a little choppy. Um, but... Yeah, so, and interesting that you mentioned that Skype phone it is, it's a dedicated box, and they were talking on CNN last night um, about how voice now, too, is getting or video is going to start getting integrated into televisions as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you could literally see your TV and I'm pointing like you can see it here, but my (laughs) TV is up there, right? So, like, you you can have this whole video chat, too, via, like, a TV. So, if Um, Well, if you're fortunate to have a big TV, and you know, I mean, you could be sitting, you could have a wall, and basically it opens up your world. But yeah, that dedicated Skype video phone for the customer is that's an awesome idea, and that thing's like two fifty. And so two fifty, I would say a a good, depending on the size of the project, mind you, but you know, a good investment for someone that's going to be paying you tens of thousands of dollars to make sure that they fully feel a part of. Um, and have like that dedicated thing where they can be brought in. Right. So that's an awesome tool right there.
0: And I actually recommend to anyone doing remote work. Uh, they might not get an actual Skype phone, but I recommend at least getting a notebook that's capable of doing Skype. Yeah. Um, and basically using, I mean, you can get a netbook for the same time, dollars And dollars and using as as your type appliance or so as your comm appliance, doesn't still have Skype that you're using, but um, you have uh, something that is from your name, assuming you're main, you work on a computer, has this benefit from your main, because that way, um, you know, you're not, the Skype if you're doing screen sharing, the Skype uh, window with screen sharing. Um, if you have to, if you're doing because you need to read some reason, you can stay on them, uh, on you know on the on the other PC. But it just gives you it gives you or naturally you're able to have that off to the side, um, and then something and, and you look at them. And look back to what you're working on. You know, it gives you more of a natural um, feel to working with someone. If um, and it also it just it also a, a lot of times I think people will just turn off the video because the video is on their main on their main workspace. You know, and it's so it's either getting in the way of what they're working on or it's messing with the screen sharing or something like that. And uh, and if you have something that's just dedicated to that to that video call, uh, you're more likely to leave it on. And uh, and treat it like a like, like you know like you're working with them at the desk. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Please visit us on the web at wideteams.com to leave feedback and enjoy more articles, screencasts, and conversations about dispersed teams. The Wide Team's podcast is a service of Shiprise LLC and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Our music is by Giles Broquet. Until next time, this is Avdi Grimm signing off.